Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. Join us as we cover a multitude of real estate-related topics with some of the brightest and most experienced minds in the industry. Our goal with The Real Podcast is to provide information, strategies, and insight on how to navigate the current and upcoming Canadian market. We use the experiences, knowledge, and the expertise of our guests and professionals in the field and offer it all back to you, the listener. We hope you enjoy the show. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.ca. We're your hosts, Brian Fitzgerald, Erica Spencer, and Jay Shaw. Hey everybody, it's Brian Fitzgerald from the Real Estate Investors Lounge. On this episode, we're sitting down with Jen and Mike Richter of Milton, Ontario. They're a total power couple when it comes to real estate investing, as well as being parents to two beautiful girls. Jen and Mike have a bit of a unique niche in the industry, because while many investors buy and fix properties, this couple start out investing in new builds. It's only just recently that their strategy of new build buy and holds has started to evolve and gravitate towards a new strategy. Before I say too much, have a listen to the episode. Also, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or your preferred platform, as well as share, rate, and review. Thanks very much. Enjoy. Hey guys, first off, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me. I know you guys, your schedules are busy having, uh, I think you guys just dropped the girls off at school, but uh, I appreciate it a great deal. So uh, again, first off, thank you very much for that. And uh, so how are you guys doing today? Great, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having us on the podcast. Really excited and happy to uh, to be a contribution, share a story. Yeah, that's the way I like to start my morning. <laughs> it is, it is. Talking to people through a phone Who on a podcast. Who needs coffee? No, no. I'm, well, I do. I do. I'm on my second, so I should be. I'll, I might talk quickly, so it's okay. So, guys, give us a quick rundown for those that don't know you guys about who you are, where you've come from, and uh, basically your place in the world of investing. Okay, so uh, Michael and myself are a husband-wife team, and we own a company, Double E Property. And uh, we've been in business for about five years now, and we started originally doing new build strategies. And where I guess I was in real investing world, I grew up being told stocks and bonds, mutual funds, that's the only way to invest. Don't get into real estate. It's super risky. And I kind of went along with that policy for a long time until I actually married Mike. And he will, in gentle terms, say, convince me otherwise. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's how it sort of started with me, too. I mean, you know, I came up from a very traditional background, too, where you sit down at your kitchen table or you sit down in the office with a financial planner, you hand over your money to them, and you just hope and wait. And I remember, you know, my, my parents sitting down and doing that, and they were never really satisfied. And they always convinced me, you know, go to school, get your degree, get your trade certificate, and just basically work hard until retirement. And that never really resonated. And to me, that was just too boring. I didn't really, it didn't resonate with me. So I was always searching for answers. And I always sort of had that entrepreneurial spirit in me. And it came, you know, it was actually five and a half years ago when I came to a crossroads when I met Jen. And I could have, you know, I didn't know anything about real estate investing other than what a few buddies basically told me and my uncle told me about how it, you know, it could make us money. But I could have sold my first property that I, my bachelor had and bought something a lot bigger. But if I knew one thing from, you know, reading a couple of books and going to one seminar, it was, you know what, you have to have assets and you have to have multiple sources of income. So I had no idea what I was doing when I got into real estate investing. All I knew is that, you know what, I needed a tenant. 
I needed a mortgage and I needed to somehow leverage my property. <laughs> so I got into it. And it was a crash course. I was pulling my hair out for that first lease. I had no coaching. No, there's no real estate courses back then. There's no podcast. But I found a way to make it work. And that got us on the ball rolling. And I'm telling you, once you start getting a couple of checks, and I look at this, you know, we're five months later and, you know, the value had gone up, my mortgage had gone down, and I was getting money in my pocket every month. I said, we have to do this again. And Jen was like, are you kidding? Own a third property? I like, no. So, but, but right side. So we have, when we had our first daughter and you do the typical sit down with the bank for RESPs and things like that. And they were trying to convince me like 7% return over 18 years was like a phenomenal rate. And I kept looking at Mike, I'm like, doesn't our rental property do better than that? And Mike's like, yeah. And I'm like, wouldn't it be hilarious if we buy the three-month-old baby a house? And we're like, ha, 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 ha. And then we actually bought her a house. And so the money we would have put towards her RESP, we bought a house with. And then 18 months later, we had another little girl. You can't play favoritism, so we had to buy her a house, too. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, you don't want to play favorites. Exactly. And parts of it as well, when they're 18, they have somewhere to go now. Nobody lives in my basement forever. But it kind of got the ball rolling where it was for the kids in the beginning. And we're like, okay, it's not so bad. We'll just kind of do one more. And, okay, that wasn't so bad. Okay, well, just one more. And it became this big joke between Mike. Mike would come home. He's like, okay, Jeff, just one more. I promise, just one more. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. And next you know, we have 10 properties later. I don't think there's no just one more anymore. Mm-hmm. That, <laughs> could, that could be the, the double E tagline. Just one yeah. more, just one more. Just one more, yeah. That's, inter- motto. That's interesting, though, that you guys uh, have said that you're basically buying these houses for your children. And I, I'm totally in the same boat as you guys because my little guy is two and a half. And I think about him, you know, 18, 20 years from now when he wants to buy a house, he's going to have to be a millionaire in order to yeah. be able to yeah. afford a house. So I look at it too, maybe like you guys, that's their kickstart in life. You know, that's your entryway into real estate. And my theory is, listen, if you want to sell it, sell it, take the money and run. If you want to live in it or if you want to rent it out, that is your kickstart from me to you. And hopefully, obviously, they make a good decision with it. But I think the future is, I'm not a doomsayer, but the future is a little grim when you think of the prices and how they keep going up and how our children are going to have a hard time affording anything. Yeah, I think with our houses, we're trying to use that whole teach your kids to fish mentality where each kid knows their own house they have a nickname for their house and they know that one's their house so even though they were two and four they still are responsible for their house so whether it's weeding or moving like topsoil from the driveway to the backyard it's their house and we're trying to teach them that when they're 18 i'm not not going to hand them a check for university like they're a part of the business. We say it's a family business and it's truly, it's not just uh, Michael and I, it's also the two little girls too. Cause we want them to see how hard it is sometimes to be an entrepreneur and the work you have to put into it. Yep. So they kind of get assigned a house and we're like, okay, this is your project. This is your responsibility. And they need to learn how to take care of it. I mean, I could give them a goldfish, but <laughs> you can't get far with a goldfish though. No, those, I think those are great valuable lessons you guys are teaching them for sure. So as parents first and kind of investors second, how do you guys juggle a family, two young children, building your name and your brand and you you guys alone in the real estate investing world? How do you do that? It's not easy. I just want to be upfront with everybody. I know we all on Facebook make it look easy and we all have like super mom or super dad syndrome. 
it's not always easy. It is huge dedication from everybody's point of view. Sometimes Mike and I have to like divide and conquer per se, where I'd love to go to all the weekend events, but somebody's got to stay home with the kids. Or Mike would love to go do the networking event, but he can stay home with the kids. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of sometimes you got to lean on your spouse. And also we're super lucky that we have a lot of family members close by that are willing to babysit and help us out. But uh, kind of what we were saying before is our biggest thing is we involve the kids in every step of the business. So we take them to the lawyer meetings. They go to all the bank meetings. They sign fake paperwork while they're at the bank. They come out to all the design centers. They help pick out knobs and carpet color. It's love blue carpet. Our little one picks that out every time. (laughs) So our thing is we can't just always put the kids on a shelf at home and ignore them when it comes to the business. We try to involve them every step of the way and this way it's easier to balance and also we're educating as they go yes they go to school yes they're learning the foundations in school but as parents we have this unique opportunity where we can teach our kids things that they're not going to learn in school they're not going to learn in the real world and I think that is such a crucial part of parenting that we're lucky that as investors we can combine the two and it's hard some days yeah we definitely have to like hide in the bathroom as talking to a mortgage broker and the kids are like painting themselves in peanut butter outside but classic it's life you have a two-year-old you get it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. they paint themselves with everything yeah and the way i deal with it i mean it's anything but a nine-to-five job anymore and i don't know really who gets to to leave at five o'clock and not take work home but i mean you know like yesterday we're at one of our conversion projects and we just closed on two properties yesterday on top of that and it's like you know what as much as i thought you know for one job that would be a couple of hours it, it turned out to be a lot longer because things don't go the way they should and Jen, I got to say, is incredibly supportive of, you know, if I say I'm going to be home for dinner and I'm not because there's, there's, there's an item that, that, that takes a higher priority, Jen supports me with that. Or, you know, the other night, you know, I had to be ready. I had to get one trade ready for the next trade and I couldn't put the kids to bed. And that's, you know what, it's something that it, it's difficult for me to sometimes deal with. But I know that, you know, giving this sacrifice now will allow me to, you know, it'll allow me to spend more time with my kids later when I have a lot more financial freedom in my life. And one of the things I've decided to create as we're scaling up in a portfolio is you have to decide what tasks are important and what you're good at and what your your return on time is. So one thing I've come up with is a do not do list, which is growing. And it's also, you know, it's, it's around getting around mindset. But for instance, this year, like I won't cut my own grass. I'm not great at it. You know, it's, it's, it's a task that typically I could hire somebody out for $40 to cut our grass. And that allows me to focus on the big picture. I mean, I used to spend half the day on Saturday cleaning our house. That allows me, that buys me quality time to spend time with my family in the park, taking the girls to the park, taking my wife out, taking Jen out. We can, we can, we can do these things now. And if I have somebody doing tasks that I'm not very good at or don't really fall into things that I like to do, that allows me to play a bigger game. That allows me to deal with investor partners, put deals together, and, and really focus on what the highest and best possible use of my time is and really apply that leverage. So that's something that I've really had to work on too is, you know what? I can't be good at everything. I can't be jack of all trades. I've got to master a few skills that I'm really good at and focus on those skills and delegate what I don't like to do and what I'm not good at. Yeah, I joke. He has a honey do not do list now. (laughs) Every man's dream, a honey do not do list. (laughs) See, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I'll pass that along for sure. So kind of along the same lines of what you were just talking about there, Mike, you guys still hold down nine to five jobs. Uh, is that correct? And how are you doing that with investing? I don't hold down a nine to five job. I'm a stay at home mom. Um, That's like a nine to nine job. 
Yeah, I was going to say from time to eyeballs closed job. Mm-hmm. So as much as I do that, but also I would consider real estate part of my job too, though. But the technical nine to five, no, I do not have one. Okay. And for me, I'm, I'm down to part time now. And I'll tell you, this is, this is what happened to me. So we, we sold one of our properties back in February and we cashed out and we, we did very, very well. And I, I bought myself and I, when I divide, you know, what my time would be worth working in my profession, I bought several years back of time. So I'm looking at this, I'm saying, Hey, you know what? I can, I can, I can take a couple of years off. I can maybe retire. I can spend more time focusing on real estate and I can focus more time with my family. But the problem with that is in our situation is that what happened to me is that the broker basically said, Hey, if you want to get, and we'll get into that later, but if you want to get into financing and if you want to get a B mortgage behind the property we just closed on, you better be showing an income, right? And our properties we're buying, we're buying it for long-term capital gains, not so much for cash flow. That's our outcome. So my job, when I work, you know, a couple of days a week, two, three days a week, that also provides me with an income that real estate doesn't right away. But my job, I have to remember my job is only exchanging time for money. I install furnaces. I'm a sheet metal worker by profession, and I've got a good position in that with a company there. But that is just basically exchanging time for money, and it's instant gratification of a check every week. We're not focusing on what, what really matters to us. And I'll be honest, I've, I've done my job for a long time now, and it no longer fulfills me. So when I go in, it's not really a position that I desire to be in anymore. When I see the value I could be to myself and other people running our business and growing up our business, there's no correct answer to how much I can work. It's always that fine balance between producing enough income to qualify, producing enough income for your family, and still dedicating enough time to say, I'm not too busy to be focusing on real estate, which is really what's, what's made us where we are now. So it's a difficult, it's, it's a very fine balance. And it's a dance that I have to constantly readjust and look back on and say, what can I, what worked and what didn't, and what can I do differently going forward? But I think that's why we work really well as a partnership where we do the business 50-50. And as much as Mike may be at his day job per se, if I'm at home with the kids, I have the flexibility sometimes to maybe go sit in the, at the bank for a couple hours or go be online doing social media or checking contracts or checking up on tenants. So it's a lot of passing the ball back and forth sometimes where my strengths are his weaknesses, his weaknesses are my strengths, but also sometimes that's also with time. So if something has to happen during the day, I'm obviously a little more free. And that's sometimes why we bring the kids with us too, where you, you, they have to be part of the business. So I can kind of pick up the slack too, or at night, Mike is uh, all the free time to do the real estate. So that's uh, when he's going to focus on it. So it's definitely exchanging time with each other a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. So you guys are basically a support system for each other. And, and again, it's nice where you have a bit of structure on one side and then on your side, Jen, you've got a bit more flexibility and then vice versa, probably at certain times, right? So exactly. Great combination. There's never a dull moment. It's always a challenge, but that, you know, that, that's what keeps life exciting. For sure. At this point in our life, I, I wouldn't trade yeah. for anything else. Boring is boring yeah, for a can, reason. Honey, you're <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I want to take a step back for a second. You guys, your niche kind of to start and kind of what you're known for was new build investors. So let's go back a couple years and say, what was the draw for you guys to new builds? And in that kind of era that you guys were in then, what were the pros and cons of the new build route? Okay, so when we started new build, now remember, this is going back. So I want to make it clear to people, this is what we did in the past, and this is the past in real estate. So what worked for us and what worked in our business plan in the past doesn't necessarily work for our outcome that we desire in the future. 
So when we were buying these properties, we were paying anywhere between roughly 400, well, just under 400 to, to close to $500,000. And the numbers work. These still, are townhouses in Milton. Yeah, these are townhouses in Milton, typically okay. three-bedroom townhouses. And the numbers have worked. Yeah, they build debt cover and they still produce the cash flow and we ran all the numbers. Just the basic cash flow, but they, they carry themselves. So we'd buy these properties. And what we were back then, we didn't want to get in fully into the construction. I mean, that just, you know, we didn't have the vision back then, it's fair to say, to really do what we can we can do now, the vision going forward. So we'd basically park some money into a property. You'd have that, the value add in that property was when you'd buy it on spec, you'd go to the, the builder office, you'd put maybe between thirty dollars and $40,000 down. You'd wait anywhere between maybe a year to a year and a half. And then sometimes the delay even past that, right? So, you know, there's no control over the delays in that arena. But the value add for us, where we would make the money in there is from buying it as a piece of dirt and then the houses get constructed and then we close on it and it could be basically a turnkey product for retail buyer. That's when the value is added and it was also delayed. So we we're closing on these properties and we had that year and a half. I didn't qualify in real time when we were closing on them, but I had that, that year and a half runway space where you know I could structure my income properly, I could, I could work overtime, I could... I could come up with private financing. I could I could do different things and I could save up and allocate enough money so I did know I could close in the future. And these were brand new properties. So when I look at our portfolio now, you know, there's, there's very little maintenance. There's there's upkeep maintenance involved, but you're dealing with a brand new product. They attract very, very good tenants because they, there's, you know, wa- there's warranty on all of the products in there. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything that goes wrong, you just had to call the builder and they would fix it. Yeah. And we're attracting these tenants. I mean, they're paying a bit of a premium compared to what's older on the market where we are. But we're attracting uh, we're attracting great people with, with these properties. So for us back then, it it made sense. I mean, it was basically a hands-off investment. We put the money down. The builder would do all the work, and we get very very good tenants. They pay on time. You know, we don't have to deal with maintenance issues. They're taking care of the property. It was very hands-off. But that's also but like, we started, needed, yeah we needed starting that. with two young families. We yeah. had two young children. We didn't want to be doing. I was doing pregnant yeah. when we closed on our first one. Yeah, with our first child. So there's a big difference. Between like being pregnant, having newborns, being pregnant again, newborns, we didn't have the time to invest like we do now. Mm-hmm. It made sense and for the time, right? Exactly. And our like as much as like we loved our new build strategy, like it is definitely what got us started. But there's obviously some cons with new builds. As of any strategy, nothing's perfect. But we found at least with the cons in new builds, they were very um, restricted to a one year time frame. So when we closed, sometimes it was a little difficult to rent a property that was in an active construction zone or the fact that we didn't have grass in the backyard right away or we didn't have fencing. So families with children or pets didn't want to rent there. But the construction zone only really lasted less than a year because they build so quickly The that would be finished fast. We'd usually get grass or a driveway within three months. So that rectified pretty fast. Also, when we're closing on a property, Typically, there'd be at least one or two other properties on the street or in the phase that were closing around when we were closing and were going for rent, too. So as much as the majority of investors in the area all seem to be putting their homes up for market value, which is great, occasionally you'd have an investor who maybe didn't run the numbers correctly or for some reason needed to offload the product a lot faster. So he would undermarket his rent. So then we'd all have to kind of match hit. So unfortunately, there's a bit more competition. But like I said, it's only usually for the first year. Uh, when you re-rent it, there's no more competition. Right. And as much as Mike was talking about warranty is fantastic and how the builders are great coming to fix stuff, some of the cons are 
you still need to deal with the trade. Yeah. You can't avoid the trade. You still have to, you will be waiting for them to show up late. If at all, you need to deal with the warranty office who absolutely loves passing the buck. It's never their fault. They don't want to fix it. You have to be like babysitting them all the time to be calling them and being like, you have to come out and fix this. They're like, I fixed it. I'm like, no, you didn't. It's still an issue. Yeah, so yeah. there is still definitely some hands-on. But like I said, it's usually within the first year because everything's fixed within the first year. Then you don't really need the warranty office. You don't need to deal with the trade. So pretty small con list, realistically, compared to all the upsides that we found in new builds. Right. Okay. That's cool. That's a good point of view, actually, because uh, new builds is something I have, I don't have any experience with. I'm more into the duplex conversions and existing single family. So that's good information for me and probably the people that are going to be listening. So, so financing deals is always, you know, one of the trickier parts uh, of putting deals together. How are you guys financing the deals then? And how are you financing them now? So when, when we got started with new build construction, we didn't have the power team in place that we did now. So I basically go to my bank that I grew up with, uh, I'd sit down with a mortgage specialist and I'd say, I need financing on this. And as we we're doing this, they didn't have the tight restrictions. There's no such thing as a stress test. The interest rates are very, very low. And they so love lending on new builds. They love lending yeah. because of the marketability of new builds and we're buying in premium areas. So we could just sit down at the bank and get a conventional rate, get an exception if our income didn't quite qualify. And that worked back then. Now it's a different situation because now with the two last two builds we closed that on in Guelph, we didn't qualify because our income, you know, I wasn't, my income wasn't high enough. So, I mean, it's just a matter of balancing resources. So what I did is I employed the skills. Well, we didn't qualify for an A lender. Well, an A lender. So right. we're right now we're with a credit union. So yeah, I'm paying higher interest, but on the flip side, it allows me to own a property and build equity into, and that's also going to be a good asset on the market. So we're with a credit union right now. With these conversion projects right now, it's a different story. Because we, we sold one of our properties now, we had some cash in the bank. So the one we just closed on under our own name yesterday, we used cash and we used also a mixture of a home equity line of credit, HELOC, and I also used a bit of money on a credit card, which they thought is crazy at the bank to buy a property with a credit card. But with our business plan, it's only temporary. We had to do it that way because we have another property closing on May 23rd, which is about three weeks from now. So we can't disrupt that contract and we can't basically take out another mortgage in the meantime. So it's just a matter of balancing resources and strategizing. So one question I always ask myself is when it comes to closing on a property, I never say I can't afford it. I always say, how can I afford it? And there's many different ways. I mean, there's private money, there's hard money loans, there's B lenders, there's many different things involved. And our idea is, is once we close on the property at the end of the month, then we're going to reapply for a mortgage on our, on our Hamilton conversion that we closed on yesterday, and we're going to get a B lender. So what we did, the strategy we used there is that we had an assignment clause when we purchased the property, and we sat down with our mortgage broker and our accountant, and we looked at the best scenario, and we flipped it basically into a corporation. So I'm going to be paying a higher interest rate. I'm going to only be able to qualify for a B loan on that, which is going to run close to but five, it's not like an to 5% high, interest. Though. But because the numbers are working at the math works that well, I can afford to pay more interest to have a property that's likely not going to be reported to the credit bureau because now we're shareholders inside of the company. Right. And I will be able to scale up that way. So once we refinance, I'll be able to recapture the money I put into that, keep uh, a 20% loan to value into the property, and I'll be able to recycle that cash out of there and redeploy that to pay off my line of credit, my credit card and keep investing in more properties. Yeah, sometimes you have to incur a little bit of debt to get these properties. When we were doing our new builds, initially you have to pay HST. 
And I think that's a surprise to a lot of people who are purchasing new bills for, sure for the first time. It usually surprises them. Yeah. And so, but the thing that people don't always realize is you can apply for a rebate and get the majority of your HSQ back. So sometimes you may need to put it on, like Mike was saying, a line of credit or a credit card or from a family member. But these are temporary debts. And for realistically, we can like nowadays, we're so lucky to have such low borrowing rates. So to be able to borrow this kind of money at a low rate to buy a house, to be able to afford something that you may not have been before, and then you're paying only a couple hundred bucks in debt, I don't mind doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm okay taking on good debt like that. And I think some people are so afraid of, I have to pay cash for it. I have to be able to buy it with my salary. It's all about having access to lines of credit or access to money. Yeah. And like you said, people are, are scared of debt, but they're like you just mentioned, there's good debt versus bad debt. And yeah. if the numbers are making sense, even at the higher interest rate, then it still makes it a yeah. good deal. Just because you're, the interest rate's a little bit higher and you're going to pay a little bit more that way. But if the numbers are making sense and you have a cash flowing, healthy property, yeah. it's just, it's a no brainer. And I think that's where some of our newer investors, um, that's what they need to get their heads around as opposed to just trying to save a few dollars every month, you know, look well, at the big generational. picture. For sure it is. Absolutely. My parents totally brought me up saying like, all debt is bad debt. Like you cannot get into any form of debt. The whole goal of life is to pay your mortgage down. And I think that's definitely a huge shift for everybody to start thinking that way. I know when I tell my mom, I'm like, oh yeah, we're not paying our mortgage down. Anything we're adding to my mortgage. My poor mother has a heart attack every time. Yeah. (laughs) Because that goes against everything we are brought up. And I think uh, to the young investors, yeah, Please don't be scared of debt. This is how you can build your foundation. And the reason why our parents say that, it's not that they're wrong, but their their job is to keep us safe and keep us comfortable. So you got to remember, too, an older generation has been conditioned to pay down their mortgage over the course of their life and retire at 65. I mean, that's just the way it works. What also gives debt a bad name is if I refinance my property and I go out and buy, you know, the Mercedes or I go out and take fancy vacations or upgrade my house. Wait, I'm not getting the Mercedes for Christmas? Things things that don't typically get get a good return. So I ask myself, if I take out a home equity audit credit, will the asset appreciate? Yes. Will it produce some sort of an income? Yes. Will the mortgage get paid down? Yes. Am I forcing appreciation? Absolutely. So the flip side of that, you know, I might be in debt, I might pay $1,000 in interest, but if I can, you know, lift that property value sixty or $70,000, I mean, it's a no brainer. But that takes a lot to get your head around. You don't just learn that in school. You don't just learn that by picking up a book. That concept took years and years for me to really grasp it. Because yeah. I thought real estate investing was nuts. And, and don't I, forget that you, some of your tenants that. are going to be the ones paying that interest for you from your profits, right? So even though you're talking about, oh, paying interest, it's still not me paying it. I'm not paying the no. insurance. I'm not paying the interest. I'm not paying the mortgage. I'm not even paying the utilities. They're paying it all for me and then some. Yep. Well, it's, sure. So we're really you know, beautiful we're, thing. fund your next property. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that's what allows us to keep going. Those, those debt service payments aren't coming out of our property every month. Maybe they are temporarily before the property stabilizes and during construction, but that's all part of the budget. Once it's stabilizing our tenants in there, we're going to refinance and they're going to start paying that debt down. So it's, yeah. it's a no-brainer for us. Yeah. And speaking of no-brainers, you guys are kind of, your strategy is evolving. We've touched on it a couple of times already about going towards these duplex conversions and away from the new build. So what is it that's led you that way from the strategy you started with? So as, as the markets changed, we've had to ask ourselves, and this was, this was a mindset shift that I had to get around because I identified myself as someone who buys new build properties. And I was very comfortable with that strategy. But what I realized is that the market had shifted. Interest rates had gone up. The stress test was in place. 
Builders are charging, you know, what they're charging us for between four and five. They're not charging us close to seven hundred thousand dollars. So unless I go far, far outside of my city limit into into areas that don't have the proper fundamentals, I might be able to get numbers that work. But we're looking at stuff. Okay, you know what? We want to buy with it where the fundamentals want to be fundamentals and buy where the market still makes sense. And we, instead of waiting for the market to turn around and waiting for this correction or waiting for a real estate cycle, we said, how can we adapt to the marketplace and not wait for the market? So we looked at the conversion projects. You know, it took me a little bit to wrap my head around too, but then we realized, you know what? It's basically the same thing that we're doing in the new build strategy. So, you know, you're getting, we're buying a bungalow. And you, when you look at the potential in a bungalow, it's what we're doing with new build. So you're buying a bungalow and it's like buying the land. So you buy the bungalow, and when you put the construction budget into it, when you add that legal secondary or that second unit to the building, when you do lipstick renovation to the top, you're forcing appreciation up. So that value add that you're doing is going to go up beyond the money you're putting into it after the down payment, after the rental costs. You're forcing appreciation up. So we're able to lift those prices anywhere between forty, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, depending on how you run them and the degree of work and what you're paying for them. So that value add is there through that conversion. It's not just from speculating, putting your money into a house and waiting. We're actively doing the work to do that. And we're looking at this and we said, if we could do this strategy or why don't we do this strategy when we started looking at it, we're doing what the builder did, but we're hiring our own consumer. We're going yeah, to we the are the builder now. We're the builder now. Yep. We're going to hire out you know, a general contractor until I get this going and I'll start being the general contractor. We're in control. I mean, we're not looking at, you know, a year, year and a half to get our money in and refinance. And all of a sudden, like, sorry, guys, it's a year delayed for whatever reason. You know, we're looking anywhere between four or five, six months by the time we refinance, right? And that, that gives room for some hiccups. But we're under control of this construction. And then we've got a brand new secondary suite in the basement. And we've got, you know, we're doing a lot of renovations up top to make it nice to, to restore the project, right? So the home is all of a sudden becoming a quote unquote new build now because everything in the house is yeah. brand new. And once again, we're kind of attract the same tenant profile we're kind of used to working with. So when we looked at it, we're like, this is pretty much, we're just making our own new build. Mm-hmm. And it helps Mike's in construction. So he's very comfortable already dealing with the trades and the order of a house should be built in and things like that. So when we kind of took a step back, we're like, this is our new build strategy. And Mike's nine to five job kind of smushed into one. Yeah. And also things like, our lifestyle has changed. Like both our girls are in school in the morning now. So I have more free time because obviously anybody who's done a reno, a flip or a conversion knows it's a definitely a bit more hands-on strategy. It's definitely a bit more time, whether you're going out to pick out countertops or you have to show up at the property to make sure the trades are doing everything and you're there for all the inspections. It's definitely more time intensive. So we have the time now in our life to do this. Yeah. And I think I kind of came at the right time. And what I love about this too is that after, I mean, it's basically the, the B triple R, the, the perfect. So we're buying the property, we're renovating it. Okay. We're, we're rehabbing the property. Then we're going to rent it out. And then once it's rented out, we're going to refinance that property. Okay. So when we refinance it, you know, the new mortgage is going to pay the old mortgage and it's going to pay off our construction costs. I'll be able to hold these properties with less than $100,000 for an asset that, you know, in today's dollars is pushing close to $600,000. Yeah. And it's got two incomes that are pushing well over 3000 a month. Who doesn't want but, two checks instead of one? Exactly. Well, one of the things I look at is, is what's my exit strategy? And I could sell it, but why not just flip it back to yourself? Take as much as you can, provided the rent can still cover it. Yeah. You still have that cash flow, the, the debt coverage ratio. But then you just recycle that money and put it into something else. And that's we're just repeating it in a much shorter time frame so we can scale up more a lot a lot quicker with our own cash doing that way. 
Well, you have to think we were buying new builds one or two a year. Mm-hmm. Now we're, we bought three in four months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this allows us to scale up much faster with the strategy. For sure. So that's kind of how you guys are now starting. So your financing has changed and evolved as well as your strategy. So you guys are now yeah. financing these duplex conversions from other duplex conversions. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah, right now. So we're, we're doing one. We did one. One was on our own and one was the two joint venture partners. The one we have on our own, when that comes up, we just closed yesterday. So when that closes in several months, we're going to refinance that, take the cash out, and then, and buy, then another one. buy another one, right? But we'll do that before because, it's like I said, it's all about leveraging resources, private yep. money. There's many different ways to do that. Awesome. So uh, you just mentioned it there, Mike. There comes a point where joint ventures are kind of inevitable. You know, the, the banks start saying, oh, whoa, whoa, we'll pump the brakes here. So what is it that you guys look for in your partners on these later projects that you're starting to do? You know, that's a great question. And I look at that and I always say, okay, if you're doing a business transaction, if you're working with somebody, anybody you're doing business with, I always look at, okay, what are we bringing to the table? And what can we offer? Where can we complement another party or their week? How can we add value to their lives or their business situation or their business plan? So if you look at what we can bring, I mean, you know, we're bringing the deals, we're managing the construction, we're putting the deal together, we're bringing our whole entire power team to the table, we're creating exit strategies, we're mitigating risk. So we're doing that. So if a joint venture came to the table, I'd always ask myself, you know what, if you, if you can do it on your own, that's great. I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to give people advice. I'd love to help people do that. But typically, I mean, if you look at the partners that we closed in the last two with, they're also investors too. They've owned properties in the past and they have investing experience too. But they've come to a life too. They're, they're a little bit, their daughters, they have two daughters are a little bit ahead of us. They value different things more. They're at a different stage in their life. So they're valuing time a little bit more. They're seeing our experience and saying, you know, how can we, you know, participate in the deals that you're doing? And they're basically leveraging themselves for us, through us. And I'm looking at the situation saying, you know what, there's a position here where we can now acquire more deals and I can provide you value and we can keep scaling up this portfolio and basically create a product that none of us would be able to do on our own, but we can do that as we combine our strengths together. So what's really important to somebody else, other than the numbers, and, you know, like we're looking for someone to qualify for mortgage, obviously, and come up with some capital. That's great. We don't need another active partner in the deal. But we're also looking at our long-term vision. Do, you know, do our values, do we have alignment in our values? Does our vision align? Are we looking at this long-term? Like this partner, this couple that we're investing with our joint venture partners, they're amazing to work with. They understand both of our strengths. They understand our roles in this. And we know that, yes, we have a joint venture contract in place that lasts, you know, it's good for five years. But if something changes in the interim, you know, if we come across an opportunity three years down the road, that's just a guideline. You know, are we willing to maybe, you know, sell the property, refinance the property earlier and grow and create something amazing between between all of us? And that's, they're on board with that, too. And that's what we like to see in people. We want to go together as a team and create wealth and value in other people's lives. And you know what? That's what gets me up. When I know that I can be, you know, a service to other people, do what I do best and, and create a value for somebody else. And somebody recognizes that value and understands the risk tolerance and the timelines in the market and, you know, what real estate is. That's the big thing beyond just, hey, you know what? Someone's got lots of money and they want to be a part of the deal. It's more than just that. It's the relationship involved and it's what we can do together to make, to make life sure. awesome. There's power in numbers when it comes to that type of thing. So I, I, I totally understand that. Um, in, in this situation, this deal you're talking about right now, are these more financial investors and you kind of are looking after the property getting and basically getting it from A to Z? 
and they're more on the financing side, or are they heavily involved as well in getting their hands dirty? No, they're not heavily involved. That's not how our, our joint venture is structured. So, so what they're do, what they're doing the, the two main attributes to bring to the table is they're they're qualifying for that mortgage. So they're, they're they're holding title of that property and they're qualifying for the mortgage, and they're also coming up with down payment plus plus right. renovation costs and closing costs. That's how that's structured too. They've got no active involvement in that, and they're willing. You know what? And, and there's they're, trust. They're, they're they trust. trust there's a lot of trust that we know what we're doing in conversion. They trust that we can like fill the tenant proper tenants in there. They mm-hmm. trust that we're property managing it correctly for the, while we own the property. Yeah, so they're buying into basically a track record. So they're not there, you know, choosing countertops and saying, right. well, why are we choosing uh, hardwood over carpet or vinyl plank or why are we doing pot lights over dome lights? They're not interested in that. They're looking at what we've done in the past. And they're looking at our at our results, and they're saying, yeah. you know what? Let's let Mike and Jen be the experts. Let's let them choose the finishings. Let's let them do the math. And what's the best return for money we spend during upgrades or construction? And you know, they're at arm's reach with that. They're not interested in micromanaging and controlling it because, quite honestly, if there was another active partner, all we do is cancel each other out. If they wanted to be there every time we chose, you know, floor tiles or paint colors, that was the trays or anything, we right. wouldn't. It would be like government. We would never get anything done. Right. Yeah. And so we have that healthy relationship where it works very well between all of us. Right. And if do you, if you don't mind me asking, what's your split on this joint venture? Is it a 50, 50? So, so it's 50, yep. 50. So how Perfect. it works, how, how we have it in our agreement is that they have to get all of the money. It's so the money that's left in the deal. After the refinance, when we refinance that down the road, they get all of that back first. So when we go to refinance this property with the money that's left in the deal, we're looking at a five-year. We're going to run it as the course of our mortgage. Whether we sell it in five years from now or sell it sooner or refinance it, we don't get any money out of this deal until we get all of their, all of their money back, all their capital, all their yeah. capital back. Right. And then we start splitting the 50-50. So I'm going to go into this, and I'm not going to see any money for five years. So I have to have unwavering faith that this deal is going to come through and that it's going to be them putting in all the work now for, you know, future projections of a return for myself. But that partner also knows too, that I don't get to see any of that money until it's paid out. And that's what I can offer it. That's what I can offer in this, in in this joint venture is that there will be money in the future. They get paid out and then we split everything 50, 50, and that'll pay for the value we bring to the table. Okay. So after this conversion is done and before you refinance it, there's going to obviously be some cash flow every month, right? Like a healthy cash flow, are you are yeah. you getting a, f- a portion of that? Uh, no, we have that structure so in our agreement now. As of now, that goes into reserve, and we pay cash flow after the reserve. Okay. Holding power after that hits a certain amount, we do cash flow payouts. But I always structure cash flow around what are the needs of the partner. So if you have a partner that you know makes a decent income, they might say, you know what, I don't want to see cash flow. I want to be in this. I'd rather get the capital out, keep minimal cash flow after reserves, that's contingency fund and maintenance and vacancy, all of that after that's paid out. I want to see minimal cash flow because you know, they'd rather have their capital the out of the deal. They'd rather have, have their, their capital out of the deal. And that's typically a good partner to work with. Yeah. Somebody might say, you know what, I want maybe that monthly cash flow. I'm willing to keep more money in the deal. So to have that monthly income. That's not typical because typically in real estate, the way we value it is we're in this for long-term gains. Yes. So we're not in this and say, you know what, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow and, and live off of the cash flow. We're looking at how can we recycle that income. So yes, the debt in five years or when we get this appraised after construction, we're going to pull as much as we can out because our goal, our objective, especially with these partners, is to keep growing. That makes sense. That's cool. Awesome. Um, let's change gears a little bit. I know you guys are the founders of Double E Properties, which I believe is named after your daughters, correct? That's right. 
And do you guys manage all of your own units? Yes, we do now. So it's in Milton, it's great because of the type of properties we have and the around the corner from us. It's very, very passive. It's very hands-on. Uh, we, we have people that we delegate to do upkeeping maintenance. We've kept it. We're the property managers of those. Because there's really nothing to manage. They run yeah. themselves. Like when maybe you're transitioning between tenants, maybe there's like a little bit more hands-on. But once the tenants are in place, you don't hear from them. Mm-hmm. You just get to check once That's a good. month. Everything goes along. So to pay for somebody else to manage a property that manage themselves, it doesn't make sense financially. So we manage yeah. all of them. So what we've done with our Hamilton conversion, we've included that price into the performance when we run them as property management. We're going to run them for one year under our business. But being entrepreneurs and running a real estate business, we're not getting into this to be any one task. And you know what? There's, there's, there's managers who, who know how to manage a property far better than I do. You're going to delegate that to. So I didn't do this to create a job. I did this to create, you know, value to other investors and grow a business and structure deals and do what I do best, what I'm good at and create relationships. So we've already been creating relationships with property managers. So when it comes to a point where we need to delegate that because it's taking up too much of our time, we're going to pull the trigger then and, and, and delegate that to we think, who we think can do it far better and cheaper than we can do it for our own time. But we're going to do it in the interim because we're, we're not quite there yet. Not quite needed. So my next question was, what are some of the strategies and tips that you can share that you use to fill your for your properties with quality tenants? But it sounds like you, one of your tips might be you actually delegate to others in some way. Uh, not when it comes to tenant selection. When it comes to picking tenants, uh, Michael and I are very, very hands-on okay. when it comes to that. We use um, an agent to open the doors and do the pre-screening process. So they only send us complete packages because we found in the beginning, a lot of um, tenants would be only sending just the application. They didn't send any credit scores. They didn't send a job reference letter. So that was taking too much time and too many phone calls that we were fielding. So we delegated that to an agent. So once they got a complete package, then they would forward it to Michael and I, and then Michael and I would take over the selection process. Honestly, Michael's the best at picking tenants possible. He is so good when he calls and talks to people because we literally check every single thing on the rental application. We do not pick the first person who comes to the door. We want to make sure this is a good fit for both of us because they are taking care of your investment. You have to be so careful. So Mike will call all of the companies, um, the letters. He doesn't just take the phone number on the employee letter. He actually will Google the company to make sure that this is the correct number he's calling. It's not like a friend of a friend who drew up a letter. And he's just great at talking to people. Like people tell him stuff all the time. They just everyone loves opening up to him. So he calls the companies, he calls all the personal references. It is a once we've narrowed it down, we always meet our tenants. Both of us in person because you get everybody gets a different feel for everybody. I get a feel in a person, Mike gets a feel in a person. So that's definitely one of our main things is you have to right. meet them. Yeah. My biggest advice that I could give when it comes to tenant selection is that I mean it's worked for us. We've we've tried using private markets and we've we've marketed off offline and that's worked and it doesn't. But we've used used MLS in our area. That seems to work for us. In Hamilton it's it's gonna be a little bit different. We're gonna adjust our strategy right. for that. But when you're meeting and when you're interviewing tenants you're going to see consistencies and inconsistencies. And from the interviews, from speaking to references, from speaking to past landlords and, and looking at how their paperwork adds up, right down to the final interview, if you just go with your gut, like if you just go with your gut feeling, it, it, there's no gray area for me. It's either it works or it doesn't yeah. work. 
And, and you, have, you have to go based on that. And you but. can't just pick one thing. I know my mom's in the process of selecting tenants too. And it, you just can't look at one thing and be like, oh, the credit score is horrible. Don't take them. There's so, like, you really have to look at the whole yeah. package. You have to, that's why we we won't look at any tenant applications until every single thing submitted because they're people. We all have like realistic lives. You have to look at everything when it comes to the tenants, not just one specific yeah, and, thing. Oh, and sometimes yeah. you'll have people yeah. that are new to the country and their credit score won't be great or they, or won't, they won't have jobs. Yeah. You know what? Those have been some of our best tenants because okay. they have, like if somebody, if you understand them and if you can look at their character, if they have the integrity to pay, they're going to pay you regardless of their income. Yeah. It's intentions. It, it's all about, for us, it's all about their intentions. And, and you know, I'll never, like, I'll look at every application. I'll look at, okay, what's the possibilities? And if they're willing to work with us, and if we can be creative and come up with a plan, it's worked with us. We've had, we've, sure, we've had problems in the past, and we've, we've learned from our mistakes. But overall, we've, we've really refined it, to, you know, being creative and saying, okay, you know what, how can we work with this? So it's a win-win situation, and we all benefit because it is a relationship going in there. It's not where the landlord do the tenants. No, it is a relationship, and it's either going to make your life very difficult or it, it, it's going to complement your life. And at the end of the day, we, I mean, we want to create better homes for our tenants. We want them to be happy. We want them to be comfortable. We want them to have a safe, clean, healthy product yeah, to live absolutely. in. And if you operate from that intention, you're going to get yeah. good tenants. And I mean, you're, obviously, you're providing a good product, which means you're taking care of the place and you can charge those premium rents. That's the way I look at it with, with our properties mm-hmm. as well. It's like I'm providing a good product. I'm I'm taking care of the place. I want to put a good tenant in there that's going to take care of the place. And that helps me justify charging the rents that I charge is by creating basically yep. a, an exceptional experience for them. Absolutely. Uh, no, that's that's great, guys. So uh, what would you say, maybe from start to, to present day, what has been one of your biggest challenges so far in your real estate ventures? It's one thing to start a business from the ground up with a partner. It's another to start it with your spouse. And I think the first four years probably were a huge learning curve for us because as much as Michael and I are, I think we're a pretty amazing couple. And we know how to communicate with each other. Communicating as business partners was a very hard learning curve for us. So Mike had to learn how to talk to you, I say, business Jen, not his spouse Jen. He had to learn things like when it comes down to business, I need black and white numbers. I don't run off of emotion. I don't run off of, well, it's around 500. I'm like, no, 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 no. I need to know it's like 489. Like I need exact numbers. And it took us a while to kind of get on the same page and learn how to communicate with each other in that way. And once he learned to change his language, um, I could get on board a lot faster. We could have um, decisions a lot quicker. There was better communication between us and things like there's no division between the business and your marriage. You come home, it's there. You're like driving the kids to school, it's there. You're on a road trip, it's there. So we had to create some boundaries where this is our home life. This is our marriage. Real estate sometimes cannot, like I would say after 1030 at night, there's no real estate. Mike loves real estate more than anything <laughs> in this world. I have a limit of how much I can handle real estate. So after 1030, we have an agreement that we're not going to talk about real estate because I need a break. I can't be smothered in real estate all the time. But Mike has a lot of friends in the real estate world. So if he wants to go talk to new strategies or has new ideas, he has lots of people he can reach out to. I always joke networking saves your marriage. <laughs> yeah. But it's definitely a, a big learning curve. Um, I mean, in the long run, it's, 
I think it's the best to do business with your spouse. I mean, you don't love or trust anybody more than that. If I'm going to trust my business with somebody, it's going to be right. Michael. But it's definitely, uh, we had a bit of a learning curve. It did not happen overnight. Okay, <laughs> so I would say that is definitely my uh, my biggest challenge. But now we're good. We figured it all out. We worked together. Yeah, it sounds so. like you guys are it's doing funny. it. It's funny. It's gentle at 1030. But I mean, I think last night she's saying, oh, my God, look at look at the ARV on this turnkey duplex. You have to look at this. At a lot. So Jen's come a long way, too. And Jen still has that passion. For me, I think my biggest challenge was, and, and you know what I did? I did work with a mentor on this. And I did, I did have help with this. But it was getting my head around what we always did because it's so easy to identify yourself with a certain strategy. And I had this idea that, you know what, the market would turn around and we'd keep buying one or two properties conversion or we'd keep buying one or two new build, new build properties a year. And, you know, working with my mentor, we realized that the deals at this point in the market weren't even deals at all. We'd just basically be putting money into it. We'd run out of money in no time. And there's really no value add anymore. And it'd just be basically convincing myself that it was the right thing. And we wouldn't be able to get to where we've been now. So getting into this whole construction thing, getting into it, it was hard for me to wrap my head around the big picture, you know, the numbers, the refinancing. It was hard for me to visualize that mortgage until, or that, that the conversion process until I'd actually started doing it. But you know what? I realized, you know, like yourself, Brian, I mean, you've already been there, you know, we belong to different networking groups where we're surrounded by, by like-minded investors that have already been there. So, you know, I didn't realize the amount of support I would get getting into this, you know, from all, all of our peers and people that I could just reach out to and send a message to, send a text message to, get on Facebook and on social media. And if I didn't have a question, if I didn't have an answer, it would be answered. So I didn't know all the answers getting into this. And I think that's what held me back. I was trying to perfect it too much before I pulled the trigger. And I was more worried about, you know, what could happen and the unknowns of what could happen by just a lack of, of knowledge getting into it. But once we started going, we realized, oh my God, we've got already the power team in place for financing. You know, I've, I've got the contacts with the construction crews. I've got all the right people to consult with getting into this. And once the ball gets rolling, I mean, you know, we're at the inflating point in our basement right now. And I'm like, you know what? We did a lot better on this than, than I thought. And as much as I thought, you know what, there's, there's, you know, things that could go wrong. You know what? At the end of the day, it went really well. And it's gone right. And if I just stuck with my old mindset, we never would have experienced this. And when we started bringing these, these putting these deals together, right away it attracts partners because they saw the, the value in this and they saw that, you know, the numbers and how that worked and how we work. And right away that right deal attracted the right yeah. partners. So for me, it was just, it was just sort of getting over that, that mindset of, of a new right. strategy, the unknown, I think. And you, you nailed it right on the head when you're talking about it, because it's basically an experience that you have to experience in order to know if you're going to be good at it or not. Right. And it sounds like with these conversions, you guys have kind of jumped in, you asked the questions you needed to do, but there's always that risk. And like you said, you jumped in and you're like, wow, shit, I can do this. It's no problem. I can handle this. So, I yeah. Which is awesome. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot better than shit. I'm so screwed. Well, that's it. And it's like, we're not alone in this. Like, we've got a powerful power team behind us and, and network where, and that's, we've been incredibly supportive too, but it's like, it was nowhere near as, as bad as I thought, but it was just, you know, like getting out of that comfort zone. And, you know, we've been very hands off in the past when it came to pre-construction now I have to be a lot more involved. I mean, it's not just, it's like you said, it's not just nine to five anymore. I have to be there until, you know, we, we get the proper team really, until things really pick up momentum and I can start to really delegate things. I want to be there to oversee everything as I'm training. Well, it's training people around me, too. Right. And I want to oversee everything to make sure that things are happening properly and things are going well. That's important for us too. And it's, uh, it, it, it's gone well. And that's, that's great to hear guys. It really is. So we have a little bit of a fire round here on the, the Real Estate Investors Lounge. 
Uh, are you guys ready for some major intensity? Absolutely. Here we go. Where do you guys see yourself in the next 12 months? I see ourselves right now. We're, you know, we're in the midst. We're talking with different partners about what we can do together. And, and we're in that phase right now. So I want to, you know, what I, I love doing this. I'm definitely passionate about it. So I want to keep this going. We've got, a, we've got a system in place right now. And I'm really confident the team we have around us. And the numbers are right. We're getting the right deals coming across our desk. But we can keep scaling up this business. So I want to keep... Uh, 12 conversions a year. 12? But I want, I want to keep going. I want yeah, to why not? Jeez, I like it. It's aggressive. It's good, though. It's good. <laughs> why There's, not? again, yeah. definitely be talking out of real estate after 1030 if you're doing 12 conversions a year. I talk fast and cram a lot in. For hey, Jen, Jen's like, push <laughs> sometimes. And I say, hey, you know what? We've already got one on the go. Jen's like, come on. Why not? What, why, why are you not setting good. a one-a-day limit? That's right? awesome. So, That's absolutely. Jen's my, Jen's my, my motivator Sweet. sometimes. So where do you guys see the market in the next 12 months? Um, the thing about market is so vague. We like to create our own market. We're not going to rely on Toronto and Vancouver to do a market. We're not going to care about what's happening in PEI or we are very focused on one specific area right now. And we are going to create our own market. We're going to force the values up of homes. I'm not going to wait for MLS to come up with this magical unicorn deal. We're going to go and create our own market. Yeah. So we're doing that, and I'm I'm looking at this, and you know what? From, from what I can see anecdotally, and from the people I follow, and, and the, the advisors I follow, we're looking at doing well. I think we're going to have a steady climb going forward. But I don't want to. I always look at this and say, okay, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? The market crashes. Guess what? I'm going in. I'm going to find every deal I can. Right? I mean, oh, I hope there's going to be more value. If it goes down, we've already created a ton of value from lifting that price, from forcing that appreciation up. So I don't worry so much about the small picture. I'm looking at the, the big picture, right? We're there, we're we're in this for the long term, and we can ride anything out that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't happen at all. But by no means I want to speculate. I'm just assuming from what I'm seeing that it's going to be a steady climb. So that's also putting on pressure for people that that might want to wait for a correction. I don't really see that happening because of the fundamentals. Like if I look at the fundamentals in the economy of everything that's it's happening, in the Hamilton market. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Talk too much. We're, we're, we're going north, yeah. Good. Okay, make your own market. No, no, no. Actually, no, Jen, that <laughs> answer was phenomenal. I feel like that should be somewhat of a quotation that you'll see floating around the internet in the near future. That was good. We're changing all the models for WE after this interview. We have a couple of models. That sounds good to me. That sounds good to me. Okay, uh, next question. Who do you guys learn from? Life. Our biggest thing is uh, the more you do it, the more hands-on you are, the more you're going to learn. It's one great thing to read books, talk to people, listen to podcasts. It's amazing. gives you a good foundation. But if you aren't doing it, you aren't getting your hands dirty. You're not forced to go to the bank. You're not forced to do these conversions. You're not forced to meet with a trade. So for me, I've had some amazing mentors that have, that have really brought me to where I am that I can give credit to. The most valuable people you can surround yourself, I always say, besides your family, who's your top five? So you're going to really learn and you're going to get challenged by the top five people you spend the most amount of time with. So if you want to grow and you want to take your business to the next level, you have to surround yourself with people that are either in a position where you want to be, who are ahead of you, or people that are moving along with you. Because we're not going back now. So we always say, I mean, there's a quote, I think it's, you're the average of the top five people you spend the most amount of time with. I think that was Jim Rohn's quote. Yeah. So that's, that's important part. The environment you create for yourself is going to be who you learn from and who, who helps bring you to the top. So what are you guys currently reading? And if you're not much of a reader, what podcasts are you listening to? I always love this question on podcasts because all my answers are never real estate. Okay. That's cool. I find that sometimes I find that sometimes, 
you have to take a break from real estate and recharge sometimes. I think we're so obsessed and so focused on this real estate thing and making things work that sometimes we forget to do a little self-care and step back and allow yourself to recharge. So I'm a huge cook. I love cooking. I love baking. I'm obsessed with that. So all of the books I read are cookbooks. All the ones are chefs. Um, all the like shows I watch are going to be Food Network stuff because I think sometimes you do need that downtime to recharge. You cannot go 110% every single day and invest every ounce of you into your business or into your um, your investing. And I truly, truly believe you do need a break sometimes as much as Mike does. No, absolutely. Yeah. For me, podcasts, like I, I like Bigger Pockets. I like, they've got a great podcast too, but I, I think Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk, the audio experience, he's, I love his philosophies on life and what he focuses on and He's very natural the way he talks and unscripted. I just, I get really influenced by him. He's one of the people that I follow. Uh, in terms of one of the books, it, it, you know, I find it a little bit difficult to read, to, to find the time to read. But one of the books that influenced me more than really any business book or real estate book is How to Win Friends and Influence People by, by Dale Carnegie. You know, I, I find if you can learn how people pick and if you can learn to relate to people, that skill, your, your, your personal skills and relationship skills are worth far more than any, any book on how to create awesome finances. Very cool. I like it. Uh, if you guys could do one thing differently in the last year, what do you guys think it would have been? For me, I think, I think you know, jumping, jumping into the conversions a little bit sooner. You know, I was, I was a little bit hesitant to get into that because of my own, uh, my own limited beliefs and my mindset. I think jumping a little bit faster, I would have, I would have done that. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's probably something I wouldn't have done a lot different because I'm really happy with, with the way it's worked out, but I probably would have done that, done that a little bit sooner and pulled the trigger and sold on the Milton property sooner. Yeah. Well, what am I kind of similar to what Mike was saying? Um, we had started looking at properties to do conversions last year, but we were really dragging our feet. We were trying to run numbers. We were overthinking it. And I still keep thinking about the one that got away. We all think about that like boyfriend or girlfriend we had that were like, oh, the one that got away kind of thing. And I have this one specific property in my mind that still I'm very competitive. So we lost out on that one. And that's the one that still earns me to this day. We didn't get it. And I'm just like, but that also gives me the fuel and the fire to get the next one to act faster, to change our strategies in purchasing these homes. So as much as it like still drives me crazy, we didn't get it. It's probably the reason why we've closed in so many of the other ones. <laughs> the fire's burning. The aggression right. is at an all-time high. That's hilarious. That's cool. Awesome, guys. That w- Those were great answers. We've come to the conclusion. I, I don't have any more grilling questions for you guys, but that was fantastic. Awesome, awesome content. And uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules. That was great. Well, thank you. And if like anybody wants to reach out to us, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram all the time. Our email address is double e properties at gmail.com. Or we're going to be launching our new website uh, in the next couple of weeks too, which is double e properties.ca. Uh, you guys can come check it out. Okay. And uh, what I'll do is I'll put all that stuff in the show notes as well so people can reach awesome. out to you. Sure. And we've also got a YouTube channel too, which is called W Properties. And that's basically where I go to uh, give away all of my advice that I can't, uh, that Jen doesn't want me talking about. Okay, that's where I make, want to make him do after 1030. I'm like, go yeah. make a YouTube video. That's a great topic. Like, go do that. <laughs> yeah, I give away a lot of great tips and information there. And it's a way of engaging with people also and offering value and contribution. And keeping your that's wife. Right. That's right. It's, it's like marriage <laughs> counseling, but different. Awesome, guys. Well, I appreciate that. And I'll put uh, your information in the show notes. 
And uh, yeah, that was fantastic. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having us on, Brian. We appreciate that. All right. Okay. Take care, guys. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye. Hey everyone, it's Brian Fitzgerald here from the Real Estate Investors Lounge. We hope you're enjoying the content and the guests that we're having on the show. We love doing this podcast and we love helping investors share their story with you guys. In order for us to gain traction and get more awesome guests, we hope you'll take the time to give us a five-star rating and a great review on whatever platform you're listening from. From all of us at The Real Podcast, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.